This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 61 of the On The Banks Podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11. And, of course, you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. There are many ways to listen to all 61 episodes of the On The Banks podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, you can find all of our episodes and so much more great content by going to onthebanks.com. I'm very excited to be joined on episode 61 of the On The Banks podcast by former Rutgers student manager and former director of basketball administration, and now the fourth most accurate bracketologist in the last three years, Brad Wachtel. Before we start, however, with Brad, I want to quickly mention a collaboration that we at On The Banks and our brother and sister SB Nation sites are partaking in with the clothing company Homefield Apparel. Homefield specializes in your favorite college team's apparel, and of course Rutgers is most certainly mine as well as I'm sure all of yours favorite college team. If you go to their website homefieldapparel.com and go to shop your school at the top of the page, you can find Rutgers and browse the selection they have. And you know what, I'll even drop a little sneak peek for you, there is more to come with that selection. So remember it's homefieldapparel.com, go to find your school and then click on Rutgers. So to begin, there's only one place to start, and that, of course, is with this basketball team, this Rutgers Scarlet Knights team led by Steve Peichel, because what they're about to accomplish on Sunday is something that hasn't been accomplished in almost 30 years. They're about to go to the NCAA tournament, all credit to beating Maryland at home convincingly by 11 points, then going on the road, getting that second road win that they desperately needed to prove that they could win away from the rack, and beating Purdue in overtime. Now, usually I'll admit that I will write something ahead of time uh, to start off the podcast, and I'll usually just read it, Um, but for something as special as this, I I just have to go off off memory, and I have to go off the top of my head, because how could I explain or how could I write the joy that I have? How could I really describe to you in writing and, and reading how happy I am for this team, uh, for myself, obviously, as a Rutgers fan, uh, for this fan base overall, and just for this university, because this university deserves a team like this. So I want to tell a quick story that I tell all the time, I know, and I'm sure a lot of you may have seen it on Twitter, but I remember back to my freshman year of college at Rutgers, and I had gone to Rutgers games before them. Most memorably, I was at the game when they beat Florida in overtime. You know, Mike Rosario coming back, it was a crazy atmosphere, and it was really my first taste of Rutgers basketball before I was a student to see just what the rack could be. And obviously, it kind of curtailed after that, tailed off for obvious reasons. Um, But this year really catapulted the rack back to what I saw that night when they beat Florida. But I want to tell a story quickly my freshman year at Rutgers, they were playing George Washington and were getting blown out. It wasn't close. I think they lost by 12 to 15 points against a George Washington team that wasn't very good. Coached by Mike Lonigan. Eddie Jordan was obviously the coach for Rutgers. And it was abysmal, to say the least. And, you know, I, I'm no, I'm not trying to badmouth Eddie Jordan or Mike Lonigan or, or anything um, about that Rutgers team, but it just wasn't a good showing. And it was the first Rutgers game I got to experience as a student. I remember it was myself and my roommate at the time and my good friend Alex 
we were sitting in the student section and we were probably two of the maybe 50 students that were there. And that's being generous. We were probably two of the maybe 3,000. I think attendance for that day was announced at 4,000, but there wasn't 4,000 people there. We were two of maybe the 2,500 to 3,000 people there watching Rutgers just not perform. And I remember sitting there that day and throughout games during my freshman and sophomore year saying, will this Rutgers team ever be good? Will they ever, not even good, just respectable. Will they ever rise to a level where they're not getting blown out not getting out coached, not getting out work, not getting out played every single game like they were both in non-conference and in Big Ten play. And that was the worst part about it. It wasn't just happening against the Purdue's. It wasn't just happening against the Indiana's, the Ohio State's, like when D'Angelo Russell came in here and put up a triple-double. It was happening against non-conference teams that they shouldn't be losing to. So we were sitting there and we were wondering, will Rutgers ever be good again? And little did we know at the time that about, that was 2014, so six years later, let's say, Rutgers would be heading to the NCAA tournament. And I know six years sounds like a long time. You know, you want that turnaround to happen fast. But man, what Steve Peichel has been able to do in these last four years has been nothing short of amazing. He took a team that was just so bad, to put it lightly. (laughs) And yes, I said to put it lightly. A team that just was not good, not competitive, They won one Big Ten game, maybe two. No, I think it was one or two Big Ten games the season before he came. And I think the last Big Ten win came against the Minnesota team. I think it was either the last game or the second to last game of the season. A Minnesota team that had like four or five players suspended. Minnesota team that was, I think, starting walk-ons. So what Steve Peichel has done in these last four years to culminate into this year number four with Rutgers, I think, and granted it's not official until Sunday, Rutgers ultimately making the NCAA tournament is one of the greatest turnarounds I think you'll ever see in sports. What Steve Peichel has meant to this program, what these players have meant to this program, guys like Geo Baker, Ron Harper Jr., Montez Mathis, Miles Johnson, and guys before them, people like Corey Sanders. You talk a guy who's only been one, who was only here one year, and C.J. Geddes, the impact that he made throughout the stretch. You look at what Steve Peichel has brought in in all four years, and having the last three-plus years culminate into this year four It's been amazing to watch the turnaround. And I know I'm excited, and I can't wait till Sunday, and we're only, what, three days away? I can't wait for those 72 hours to pass because I can't wait to fill out a bracket on Sunday night and be able to put Rutgers in that bracket and, let's be honest, be able to put Rutgers all the way going to that championship game. I can't wait to do it. I've never been able to do it in my life. I'm only 23 years old. I can't wait to look at a bracket and see Rutgers in that bracket. It'll be a great memory of mine, and I can't wait to see it on Sunday. Wherever they go, whatever seed they get put in, whoever they play, I can't wait to see Rutgers in the NCAA tournament. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. He served as a student manager for Rutgers basketball during his time on the banks and also worked with the program as the director of basketball administration. He now focuses on March as a bracketologist. You can find all his updated brackets at factsandbracks.blogspot.com. And over the last three seasons, he is the fourth most accurate bracketologist according to bracketmatrix.com. I am very excited to be joined by Brad Wachtel. Brad, thanks so much for coming on and joining me on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. So Brad, Rutgers fans and alumni, obviously myself included, are ecstatic and filled with so much excitement over this season. You know, it's been a special one, and this team just seems destined now to go dancing, especially after the results of the last two games. So let's start with this. Before we talk about where you have the Scarlet Knights, 
Am I correct in saying that in your mind, Rutgers heading into the Big Ten tournament is going to the NCAA tournament regardless of what happens in Indianapolis? I would say that 98% chance, yes, it's going to happen. And the only reason why I came out and said, you know, while they're most likely in, they're not a full-fledged lock, there's one reason and one reason only, and that's because of their record away from home. Even though they got that win at Purdue, Purdue, which was huge, they're still 2-10 and 10 away from home. And if you just look at the history of teams that have received at-large bids into the NCAA tournament, no team has gotten in with under three wins in the last 26 years. So you're, you're going up against history. Now, times have changed, and I think Rutgers' wins really trump what their uh, – record away from home is as well as their net their net being what it is in the in the low 30s it shows that they've been extremely competitive on the road and i think that's all taken into account so they're going dancing uh and if they beat michigan i will call them a lock but they are going to be in regardless you know brad you're going to leave some Rutgers fans a little bit worried leaving that two percent chance um, in your answer, and you know we've heard that history a lot, right? We've heard that Rutgers they only have two road wins, and the committee hasn't put in a team with less than three wins away from their home court. But my counter to that always has been of those teams that were on the bubble that didn't have three wins that didn't get in the NCAA tournament. How many of those teams went eighteen and one at home? No, you're you're absolutely right, and and none of them, and also. Back then, 1994, teams weren't playing as many games. Uh, you, you would think a lot of those teams were closer to 500. Uh, Rutgers is obviously not, uh, which is why I don't think it's going to be an issue. But just because of that little history note, that's the only reason. Uh, I don't see any team out there now that can surpass Rutgers. Uh, I just don't see that happening. In my mind, it would just be something the committee just said – hey, you know, that record away from home, it, it just doesn't cut it. Uh, but again, I do not see that happening this year. Uh, their wins are too good. They have some high quadrant one wins, beating Seton Hall at home, beating Maryland at home, beating Wisconsin at home, the way Wisconsin has played lately, finishing first place in the Big Ten, uh, obviously Maryland too. Um, impressive resume, impressive team. And when you watch Rutgers play, they look like a tournament team. This is no fluke. And, you know, of course, there are many bracketologists like yourself that put out their projections. Now, it's a good thing for Rutgers fans that not many are as accurate as you are because you have the Scarlet Knights in. But I have seen Rutgers as low as playing in the first four in Dayton to as high as an eight seed. As of right now, prior to the Big Ten tournament starting, you have Rutgers where and why do you have them at that seed line? So I have them as a 10 seed right now. They're one of my last 10 seeds. And again, while I do think Rutgers will get in, they are going to get nicked for their record away from home, unless they're able to do some damage in the Big Ten tournament. So I have them as a 10 seed now, with room for growth, if they can make a run. Um, I, I think when you start comparing the teams that are around them, while Rutgers' net is 32, and you know it, that's a, a very good number to have, they're still 4-9 and nine against Quadrant 1 teams, and they're below Quadrant 1 and 2 a opponents um but so are a lot of the other teams in their range but again i would have i if they were if they had a record closer to 500 
uh, away from home. I would have him probably a couple seats higher. Uh, but if you look at all the teams around him, nobody nobody has less than five wins away from home. Uh, that's anywhere in, the, in their seed vicinity. Um, so that's just that's just one thing. And I do think were they to lose to Michigan, uh, while I think they would still get in, uh, I think a playing game, being in the playing game, is a possibility. Not not a not definite by any means because it's going to depend on how other teams around them do as well. So it's not definitive. You lose this game, you're in the playing game, or you win this game, you know you're this seed or whatever. Uh, there, there's definitely, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what the committee feels like, but I've always felt if their, if, if their record away from home stays as is, they'll be a little bit worse of a seed than you think they should be. So beating Maryland by double digits at home, then beating Purdue on the road in overtime really solidified Rutgers and importantly got them two high major wins and a road win that they obviously desperately needed. The Purdue win specifically, they proved that they could win away from the rack. Now it's kind of a moot point since they ended up winning, but heading into the game, did you view Purdue as a must win even after they beat Maryland by double digits the game before? I didn't view it as a must win because you still had the Big Big Ten tournament ahead of them. Uh, I thought if they lost to Purdue, then I really felt as if they needed to, they would need to win that first game, assuming it wasn't uh, against, well, it would have been against the t- another tournament team. So yes, I, I would have felt they would have needed to win that first game in the Big Ten tournament because all of a sudden you're going 1-12 away from home. I'm sorry, but you, you and I both know the committee is going to, they're going to look at that and it's just... It's not going to sit well with them. So getting that win at Purdue was huge. Now, I, and I and I know everybody assumes that you know they're a lock because you get that win. One thing to keep in mind, though, while you did win at Purdue, win at one at Mackey, a tough place to play. Uh, Purdue is headed to the NIT. Uh, Purdue is not an NCAA tournament team unless they somehow reach the Big Ten tournament finals. They're going to be in the NIT. So it is a it is definitely a really good win. And it's a great win for Rutgers and anybody that's followed Rutgers and their history over, you know, the course of the last 20 years. Winning a game on the road against a legitimate opponent doesn't happen often. So it it, it is a big one. And, you know, maybe you could better explain this to me, but I looked at the net rankings after that Purdue win and I was surprised to see the next day that Rutgers actually moved from 31 in the net before beating Purdue to 32 What's your general opinion on the net ranking system? You know, how Rutgers somehow moved down after winning on the road and how the net system will factor into the committee's decision on Sunday. In terms of the net and then the RPI, which the net took place of, I think I think the RPI factored winning in a little bit more than the net does. Uh, it seems like whatever your net was heading into conference play, unless you you know, really lose a ton of games or you're really getting blown out. It's not going to change very much. And especially in Rutgers case where Rutgers didn't get blown out at all. I mean, I think their worst loss was against Michigan state and that was by 12 points. So if you, if you're playing close, that, that is actually helping you as opposed to what the RPI was, where if you lost, it was a loss and you're going to get, you're going to get Nick no matter, matter what. So I do like that uh, in that regard, and uh, but but yeah, like I think the fact that we're so late in the season, it's pretty difficult to 
change it to have your net change substantially unless you're blowing somebody out or you're getting blown out um even winning on the road like as we see i i, I was surprised that it didn't go up a little bit more but there were some teams behind them that had some key wins and kind of all leveled out um but they're still in a good spot you know we look at rutgers and their road record obviously still not being what the committee probably wants to see but they did notch that win against purdue how much did the close loss, though, help Rutgers this season? Because besides the two road losses to Michigan State and Pitt very early in the year, I don't think they lost on the road by double digits the rest of the way. You can arguably make a case that Rutgers staying late, staying close in all of those games is the reason why they're going to the NCAA tournament. Because if, you got, if you're losing games by 20 or 30 points, their net's not going to be in that range. Your net could be in the 40s, maybe 50s. And if Rutgers' net is in the 50s, they are, with, with that record away from home, they're probably not getting in. The reason why Rutgers ever feels like Rutgers is going dancing is the number one reason is that net. That That is extremely important. So while they lost a lot of games away from home, playing close was was huge for them. And could you kind of say the opposite for Indiana? Because when you look at Indiana and Rutgers and you put their resumes next to each other, they're pretty similar. But you then look at Indiana's net and it's in the, I think, high 50s, while Rutgers is in the low 30s, maybe even high 20s. Was it just the case of Indiana not being as competitive on the road as, say, Rutgers was? Yeah, Indiana's net is actually 60 as of today. Uh, and they're 4-10 and 10 against Quadrant 1 opponents. Rutgers is 4-9. and nine. It's similar. Against Quadrant 1 and 2, they're 9 and 12, and Rutgers is 9 and 10. Indiana has no bad losses. Rutgers has one. Very, very similar resumes. And even if you start looking at their key wins, you know, Indiana beat Florida State, Ohio State, Michigan State. All their key wins came at home, just like Rutgers. Um, but the difference is, especially early on, Indiana really struggled on the road. Uh, they were getting blown out in games, and they were they were non-competitive. Um, they they played they playing better as of late, but that definitely plays a role, um, as well as their non-conference schedule and and, and all of that going into it. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's a drastic difference. Indiana is right on the bubble. They play Nebraska in their first game, and if they lose that game, they're probably not going to get in. Joined by bracketologist Brad Wachtel. Now, heading into the Big Ten tournament, Rutgers faces Michigan on Thursday at noon. Let's hit on both sides here with this question. How much could this game help Rutgers if they were to win? And then reversing it, how much could it hurt Rutgers if they were to lose? So if they if, if they lose, I think they could get knocked down to an 11 seed. Um, again, I don't think that's definite because we got to see how other teams around them are doing. Uh, right now... Uh, East Tennessee State, who is a team that's seated around Rutgers, uh, they're about to win their their conference championship, which is good news for all bubble teams out there because East Tennessee State, had they lost, uh, uh, Wofford would potentially be a bid stealer. Um, So that's good news for any bubble team. Um, Now, if they win, if they beat Michigan, I I think they will be – I still think they'd be a 10 seed, possibly borderline 9-10. Uh, and if they win two games, you could get into that 8-9 game. So you have Rutgers as a 10 seed, 
But in your opinion, what would be the range you could see them possibly being placed in? Are there a few seeds, highest to lowest, that you think Rutgers could be placed in? Is it maybe like as high as an 8 seed or a 7 seed and potentially as low as an 11 and 12? Yeah, as low as an 11. um, Sometimes the playing games end up being 12 seeds. That depends on who wins their conference. So 11 or 12 could be the playing game. Uh, But but right now, yeah, I would say probably as low as an 11 seed. And now it's high. I mean, it depends how much they're winning. If are they winning the Big Ten tournament? I mean, I guess you never know. Uh, yeah, I mean, they can get as high as a seven. So, Brad, let's step away from bracketology for a second. You've been around this Rutgers basketball program for a long time, and while you remain unbiased, obviously as a bracketologist, I'm sure this season has you smiling just as a Rutgers alum. How much of a pleasure is it for you, someone who has had multiple roles in the program, to see them finally break through and have that special season that hopefully breaks the almost 30-year NCAA tournament drought? I mean, it's awesome. Uh, look, as somebody who worked with the men's basketball team in some capacity for 10 years, not many people can say that. I know what the fans are going through, what they've been through, and what they craved. And this is what they craved. This is what they wanted. This is what I always wanted. Uh, Unfortunately, it never happened in my time there. But that being said, it doesn't matter. Like, this is Rutgers. This is is the whole university coming together to celebrate something that we've waited forever for. Um, And I actually remember um, before I left Rutgers, I sat down with Coach Peichel, and I specifically told him, I said, I really think – Rutgers is a sleeping giant and you're going to win here. I really believe that, you know, if you look at the past number of coaches that have been here, a lot of those head coaches have gotten in their own way, one way or another. Um, People say they're cursed or whatever it may be. I don't buy that. Things just didn't work out. Things are working out now. They're getting recruits from wherever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be New Jersey. Like I always thought. And they're, developing these players and then they're overachieving with these players and it's definitely a testament to to steve peichel and the rest of the staff uh how they've molded this group and it they're definitely a team you can root for and they're definitely a team that you can be proud of and i want to look at your time as a student manager for rutgers and on the administration side of things as well what are some games that really stick out to you from your time on the banks and some moments that you find to be very special? Um, I would say my time working there, the games that definitely, the one game that definitely stood out uh, was when it was 2010, 2011 season, uh, the Jonathan Mitchell four point play uh, where we, where Mitchell came down and hit a three at the buzzer it with under a second left and got fouled and made the free throw to beat top 10 Villanova. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever see an ending to a game as good as that one. That was just beyond memorable to me. Um, so that, that that's one in my time working there, uh, as, as well as a couple other top 25 wins. But in my time as a student manager, uh, it, it was definitely uh, when we went to the NIT semifinals and finals at Madison Square Garden in 2004, played Iowa State, and then played Michigan in the championship game. Uh, and, and I remember seeing... The best moment was when you saw the sea of Rutgers red, all of their fans pouring into Madison Square Garden, all of the gates uh, around everywhere. And you're just like, wow, there must be 12,000 fans or so here that are rooting for us. This is unbelievable. And it just it just made you feel like 
this place is a special place. And when you're winning, it's a fun time. And, you know, I think we've seen that at the rack this year, 18-1. and What this coaching staff and the players have done is bring back this fan base and make the rack really the toughest place to play. They say the rack, you know, it adds 10 points to Rutgers when it's loud, energetic, and crazy, just as it has been this season. This team brought back Rutgers pride, and it really showed, I think, how great this fan base is and how much of a sleeping giant both this program was and this fan base was. 100%. I mean, the rack is one of the toughest places to play in the country, bar none. Uh, that's what it was when I was a student manager there. We had a couple of years where with, uh, we lost, I think it was just two games at home. Uh, so it, it just goes to show how great of a place. And while it's not the fanciest of arenas, you know, I wouldn't do a thing to it because it's such a, it's such a great home court advantage. Uh, it's it, as a coach, as a player, as a fan, the atmosphere is second to none. Brad, a couple more before I let you go. I keep seeing, and we talked about this earlier, but I keep obviously seeing that history brought up and the fact that the committee hasn't put a team in with, I think, less than three wins away from home. And Rutgers, as we've been discussing, and I know we talked about this earlier, I want to rehash to it, they only have two. But I always say to those people, how many of those teams that don't have three or didn't have three also an 18-1 and one at home? And I'm sure not many of them did, if any. So I want to go back to what you said before. You gave Rutgers a 98% chance, leaving that sliver of 2% for the committee to possibly leave Rutgers out. Do you think that the committee could really shock not only Rutgers Nation, but I think most of the country, and leave Rutgers out because they came one win shy of that three-road win precedent? Personally, I don't think it's going to happen, which is why I'm going to have Rutgers in my final bracket. And... I'm not having Rutgers in my final bracket because I'm a biased Rutgers fan. I'm doing it because I'm trying to be accurate. So I don't believe they're going to be left out. It's it's just, if, if you want to say, I didn't say 100%, fine. So I guess there's one in the two in 100 chance, whatever. But again, I don't see it happening. So Brad, I think for any bubble team, the one worry is that there could be potential bid stealers in these smaller conference championship games what teams should Rutgers fans really be rooting for so that bid stealers don't come and potentially take up spots that could ultimately go to Rutgers I mean there's not too many bid stealers left um I I would say teams that they should root for like in the American Conference right now Houston is the only definite team that's going to be an at-large bid there could be a couple other teams in play but right now you're rooting for Houston to win the American Conference. Uh, in the Atlantic 10, you're rooting for Dayton to win. I mean, Dayton right now is a number one seed, uh, and the only other team that's in the mix is Richmond. Uh, so, you know, Richmond has a chance for an at-large bid. So if, if Dayton doesn't win the tournament, that's going to be a bid stealer, uh, and that's going to eliminate a spot. Uh, the other thing I would pay attention to is uh, – Teams that I have on the outside of the bubble, but that are high majors that have a lot of opportunities to improve their resume and get in. Uh, and I'm talking about teams like NC State, UCLA, Texas. Those three teams, and, and even Cincinnati uh, and Wichita State. Uh, th those teams are teams to keep an eye on. If they make a deep run, they will be able to solidify their spot in the NCAA tournament. Um East Tennessee State just won, 
So that's one less team you have to worry about. And East Tennessee State will be in the NCAA tournament, and they'll be the only team from the Southern Conference uh, that gets in. And other than that, uh, I think I think you're good to go. So, Brad, last one. In your mind, when the committee releases the bracket on Sunday, what would be a best-case scenario for Rutgers in terms of who they play, where they play, and ultimately what seed they are? Um, I would say if they end up as a 10 seed, their best-case scenario would be to be sent to Albany, of course, uh, which is which is ideal. I mean, I, I can only imagine what Albany would be like with Rutgers fans. Uh, and in, in terms of, it's it's still hard to say, but in terms of two seeds, who would you want to play in the, I always look at the second round, like who your next opponent would be. Uh, San Diego State, Villanova, Florida State, or Duke are my two seeds right now. It's, it's not, it's, it wouldn't be an easy matchup regardless. Um, but I, But I think if you end up in that 10 seed range, even if you're an 11 seed, you're going to have a game that's going to be a winnable game. Uh, college basketball is by no means, if you're a higher echelon seed, you're not going to be that much big of a, you're not going to have uh, that, that be that favored to win uh, your first round game. So Rutgers is going to have a chance to not only get in, but win games. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Brad underscore Wachtel, spelled W-A-C-H-T-E-L. And, of course, I, along with, I'm sure, so many other Rutgers fans, will be constantly refreshing his site, factsandbracks.blogspot.com, all the way up until 6 p.m. Sunday when the bracket is finally revealed. Brad, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and breaking down Rutgers and their NCAA tournament chances, which we'll find out once again on Sunday whether or not this 30-year streak is over. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Brad for coming on the podcast. Again, you can view his brackets and projections at his website, factsandbracks.blogspot.com. How great is it that Rutgers is in these bracketologist fields? And look, I know these are just predictions. They're not in the committee, and the committee could do something totally different than what the bracketologists think. But just to see meaningful March basketball and to see Rutgers being talked about as Selection Sunday nears and to see Rutgers in the field of 68 and to see them take advantage of the opportunity in front of them These were all amazing things to see. This team, look, they had a rough February. They'd admit that themselves. They could have folded down the stretch with two difficult games against Maryland and Purdue to finish out the season. They would have sat 18-13, and needing to probably win a couple games in the Big Ten tournament to have a shot at even making the field. But this team showed heart. They showed toughness. And they showed grit and a desire to reach the promised land. And frankly, that's all we can ask for them really to do. They saw March Madness in the distance, and they went and they grabbed it. Now, we'll find out for sure if they're in on Sunday, but I think the entire college basketball nation will be shocked if they're left out. And when we do hear the name Rutgers on Sunday, the fun really begins. Do or die, playing with house money, playing in a winnable NCAA tournament game. Let me say that again, a winnable NCAA tournament game. That's more than any of us could have asked for before this season. I certainly didn't think this was an NCAA tournament team before this year, and and I'll admit that. But this team didn't listen to me, thank God. They didn't listen to me, they didn't listen to anyone else who thought that the NIT was the expectation. For them, the expectation was and always has been NCAA tournament, and they are about to accomplish that expectation and reach that goal here on the banks. 
Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.